Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. Okay, it's a big moment. moment. We've all yeah, been waiting for a big moment. Yeah. Okay. I've been doing game day for 32 years. I put on 56 different mascot heads. And I've come from Orlando, Florida, 2,852 miles to get here. And let me tell you something. It would take something special for me to pick against my beloved ducks. But ladies and gentlemen, this is a special place and a special time. Give me that duck You got to the end zone. Touchdown. <laughs> Desmond Patman. Party on. Michael Preston. I do want to say something uh, very briefly before we get to all the frivolity and the wonderfulness and the ecstasy and everything else that was that weekend. This last weekend, that is. Uh, that call by Tim Brando and plus Spencer Tillen right in the middle of it saying, got it. That is about as close to a perfect football call as you will find. And I didn't record the whole game. I've only watched the Pac-12 and 60 of it. So, you know, what little bit of Brando you do get. But I must say my appreciation for him has grown over the years. And also that call of Desmond Patman, party on. And that's it. Just silence for about 10 to 15 seconds after that as we see shots of the crowd and shots of the players and whatever else. And just of the general scene at Martin Stadium was absolutely Perfect. Jeff Neusser, our managing editor, going to join us here in a little bit. An abbreviated Kook Center Hour this week because, as I mentioned on Twitter and elsewhere, this is a new week. I'm starting a new job, and this is like a regular, like, 8 to 4 o'clock, you know, 8 to 5 type of thing. So I'm I'm adjusting to a lot of new stuff here. So this is this is all new. This is like like handing Latin to an ancient Egyptian and going, here, you can do that. This is, this is ve- all very weird to me. So... My apologies that this is abbreviated. Next week probably will be too. Uh, we will try to do a full show again at some point once I get a little better adjusted schedule-wise. But that is going to take some time. When you work a 6 p.m. to 1 a.m. schedule for five years, you kind of get used to it, so to say the least. So Jeff's going to join us here in a little bit. Um, hard to top that weekend uh, ever. Uh, my wedding was certainly been, been better, uh, although my wife may may say differently. <laughs> um, just, I, I can't say something different than what Brian and Jeff have already said and what a lot of other people have already said about that weekend. It was exceptional. It was fun. It was awesome. I was tired (laughs) but it just almost didn't matter none of that none of that mattered the fact that on Friday night we had friends roll into town to share our hotel room late and we stayed up until 12 15 having a beer and I was only able to fall asleep at 12 30 with an alarm that went off at 3 45 and hike up to campus and I, I I remember vividly thinking to myself 
I have to check social media when I woke up at 3.45 in the morning. Because I wasn't sure how much we were going to have to hustle up to campus from our hotel. And at 3.50, when I got completely dressed and up, I was gobsmacked at 3.50 in the morning to see some of the tweets already rolling in from kids who were already up there. I'm not much of a napping person, so that that three and a half hours of sleep and the subsequent energy drink and large cup of coffee I had afterward were very important to me. But it shows you the level of excitement that surrounded just everything that was going on because it was just so exceptional. And I, I, I truly thought in the week leading up to this that, God, maybe, you know, all these overestimations of 75,000 extra people coming into town and whatever else, that seemed like a gross overestimation on the city's part or whoever made that estimation. And that's fine. You need to do those things sometimes because... I mean, obviously, you know, you need to be prepared for, I guess in this case, the worst or best case scenario. I don't really know what word you'd use there. But the people who were in town made it their mission to make sure that ESPN was going to regret not showing up any sooner. And it kind of felt like a culmination of 15 years of of desire and want and and just... just I think it was summed up very, very succinctly... <clears throat> I can't remember if it was a sign suggestion or a sign I actually saw. Which, by the way, I too many good ones to count, including the one that just said send. Including the one that just said send pity a light. I really like that one. But finally, out of the friend zone, ESPN finally took us out of the friend zone, and college game day was on campus. And for those of you who weren't there and haven't read yet this week, uh, about. Three to four minutes before, maybe even closer than that, um, to before they went on the air, Reese Davis came out, the host of the show, and said something along the lines of, I will get the last two words of the quarter, and it will be the only time I cuss on this podcast. But he said, usually I have some big speech worked up, but I only have two words. Holy shit. That's all he said. And then the crowd started chanting that. A little too dangerously close to camera up from black time, I think. Uh, for the producer's comfort. However, and then you had that that glorious opening shot, which if you weren't watching at home and you were in the crowd, I would encourage you to go find it. I think we have it on the Kook Center uh, Twitter account of just Reese Davis saying it started with a flag, a crusade, and then the camera on the boom tilts down and pans up. And so you just get this full effect of tens of thousands of people on this lawn at 6 in the morning in Pullman, Washington. The game doesn't even start for 10 and a half hours after that. It's another 10 and a half hours until they kick off against the top 25 Oregon squad. Number 12 in the country. And there are 20,000 people out there. I was near the back even after arriving at like 4.30 I think. Something like that. I don't remember exactly when we got there. But I somehow I was near the back of the crowd. <laughs> Which shocked me. I didn't make a sign or anything. I didn't bring a flag. I just wanted to soak everything in. I just wanted to look. I just wanted to be there. I just wanted to to be around everybody. And I think for me, that was the better part of the experience. I wasn't a big fan of standing around for you know four and a half hours because I'm old now and my knees hurt. But 
for me, so much of the experience was, and because again, you know, I, I said this last week and I've said it before, game day has not been as important of a thing to me over the years as it has been to so many people. So I think part of the joy and the happiness for me of going to that event was seeing how happy everyone else was. I was so happy for everyone that wanted game day in Pullman for so, 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 so long. I was happy for myself too. I was so thrilled that Kirk Herbstreet and Lee Corso and Reese Davis and Desmond Howard were finally there and Drew Bledsoe was there to be the guest picker even though it couldn't be Clay Thompson. I was so happy for all of that and it was so cool to see that you kind of got a genuine feel for Pullman Washington in that show. And I said this last week is that what this show was was an opportunity for all of us to show why Pullman is so important to us and for the country to see why it's so important to us. You couldn't have picked a prettier day, by the way. Just a sparkling sunrise on the Palouse. And I can't remember a time I was actually up that early in Pullman ever. And I did it as a 30-year-old adult. But an absolutely perfect day. Perfect morning. And I again, I think, again... More favorite things from the afternoon, but just walking back to the tailgating lots right afterwards. We got a little food and some coffee right after, but seeing that it was very distinctly nap time. Everybody just kind of legged out on grass, taking naps. We had a friend who fell asleep in a chair with his hat over his eyes. And then you get to, and I we said this all last week, there was so much excitement from game day. We all forgot there was a football game, or it was easy to forget there was a football game and a pretty damn important one at that to play later that night. And if you were worried about a letdown or anything from game day, from the excitement, from whatever else, my God, did we clearly, clearly have absolutely nothing to worry about. 27 points in the first half against Oregon to Nothing. 27 points for Washington State. Nothing for 12th ranked Oregon at halftime. And I will admit, I got very pensive and very nervous in that second half. I sat in my seat tugging on what beard I do have. It is not much, but there is some there. As my wife implored me to come on, cheer up, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. I'd seen this story before, but I had not seen the authors of this story before because very clearly this Washington State football team is pretty different than any we've seen in the last few years. Maybe it goes back to that 2015 team that was awfully resilient late in games, but they had it all the way. It was just going to take all of us a while to figure that out. That they had it all the way. And that pass from Gardner Minshew to Desmond Patman, who again, I want to emphasize, I am so thrilled that Desmond Patman has come alive this season. That is wonderful to see the junior finally kind of catching his stride. That final touchdown pass and then the unadulterated joy that erupted after that last Oregon drive and that stop and those kneel downs. And that pile of bodies onto the field and singing back home after the game ended. 
it was about as close to a perfect Pullman weekend as you can possibly get. Everything went right. I think I saw somewhere too that Drew Bledsoe now has the best record of all the guest pickers on college game day this year. So literally nothing went wrong for Washington State sports visibility-wise on Saturday. Nothing. I even got to have Pita Pit for the second Pullman weekend in a row. It was excellent. About as ideal a weekend as you can get. And again, there's nothing much more I can say that others haven't already said or will say about that weekend. But here is one little nugget that I think is being forgotten in all of it. Washington State is now ranked 14th in the country. And seven games into the season, a season a lot of us thought, me included, and again, I'm not going to do the whole, I'm I'm so happy to be wrong crap. Me included, that thought it would be a down year. Thought they would struggle to get to four or five wins. Struggle to get to bowl eligibility. Guess what? They are. Washington State is bowl eligible right now. They could drop every game the rest of the season, and they would still go to a postseason game. They're not going to. (laughs) but they could do that. They could, in theory, drop every game the rest of the way and things would be fine for the postseason. I am absolutely flabbergasted by that. And this week, you get to go down to Palo Alto and see a team with a Bryce Love who's not completely healthy, And a KJ Costello, who is kind of the same guy he was last year. He's certainly not Andrew Luck. He might not even be Kevin Hogan. And a Stanford team that you have kind of had their number recently. Even that loss to them in 2015, that really should have been a win. You have kind of had the Stanford Cardinals number for a while now. That 2016 beat down, and in 2017, you beat them in a very good, well-fought home game in Pullman in the snow and sleet, whatever the hell else it was doing. This Washington State team has a very good chance to go 7-1 and one after Saturday and be sitting very... You're, you're going to wipe Stanford off the win the Pac-12 North map if you do that. And then if you can get lucky, if you can catch another break or two the rest of the way... You are going to be in the Apple Cup with potentially not even needing to beat Washington to win the Pac-12 North. It's going to require Washington losing again before they get there. And they play the weakest conference schedule of anybody in the conference. They're already through their hardest games. But maybe you catch a break. And maybe just this is just the year where it all comes together inexplicably, a year you lose Hercules Mata'afa, you lose Daniel Aquale, you lose Frankie Louvu on defense, you lose Robert Taylor on defense. You lose your potential starting quarterback to a tragic, to his tragic death. You lose two really talented wide receivers. You lose two talented running backs. You lose 60% of your offensive line. And you're telling me this team is going to come back and be better? Oh, And they replaced damn near every one of their assistant coaches. This defies belief. 
This season defies belief in the best way possible. And I do not want to wake up anytime soon. Jeff Newser, our managing editor, joins us next. We're going to talk more about game day, all kinds of good stuff as we continue here on the Coop Center. Center Hour is now back, and for the second time in three weeks, we joined in Mr. Jeff Neusser, and it's only because uh, the beard got more impressive. How did that happen, that it got more impressive between when I saw you last and last weekend in Pullman, because it was just out in all of its glory? It's magic. Beards are magic. <laughs> you're, keeping, you're keeping trolls in there, I think that's what the problem is. Uh, okay, so I you wrote a very lovely piece on the website that I loved, your normal uh, Monday after uh, stuff. But if you could verbalize what that whole weekend meant to you, because basically what I, you know, you know for me game day wasn't, you know, it wasn't as big for me. I was just so thrilled to see everybody so happy. But what I know you've wanted game day to come for a while. What did that mean to you? I mean, it, it's not very often in life that things exceed your expectations, right? Right. I mean, and that's, you know... It's it's hard, really, really hard for things to to live up to the hype, and uh, you know Saturday, for you know at every step lived up to the hype, and I know that um, you know as I was going into the day, I you know I had my typical you know sort of coog attitude about it, like something's gonna go wrong, right? <laughs> like like there's some something has to go sideways, mm-hmm. something some you know I don't know maybe Saturday morning will be great and the team will face plant or. Or maybe, you know, vice versa, you know, we weren't expecting this huge party and then maybe everybody thinks it's going to be too crowded and so nobody shows up, right? The old Yogi Bear, like, nobody goes there anymore, it's too crowded, right? Yeah. So it's like, I, I mean, I just, I, I don't know that I was, like, worrying, but at the same time, I just I just sort of expected that um, that something would not live up to, to what I expected and, uh, and that just did not happen. Um, it was... It was glorious from the time I got out of bed until the time that, uh, you know, I left Sherwood's tailgate, tailgate uh, at about 10 o'clock. And um, it was it was kind of the best day ever. Just be quiet. Don't say that too loudly around your wife. That's all. You know, it's like, I know, I've been warned I, about know, that. Other than. Other than. Other than, of course. And my, my son's being boy. Yes, yes. Other than all. Other than, no, we're just kidding. It was the best time I mean, ever. those things go with that. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, sure, whatever. Sure. Uh, I think, uh, were you surprised? I mean, I, we've been hearing estimates all week about 75,000 people, about, you know, I mean, diehard Cougs was like 100,000 people or whatever, which seemed like, and I was a little shocked on the way over about how quiet the drive over was. It didn't seem to me like too many extra people came into town just for game day. So, 
when I saw that, I was at least a little surprised by the size of the crowd when we got there at about 4.15 or 4.20 or so. Were you surprised by how big the crowd was that early and how loud they were that early? Yeah, I mean, in the one sense of what you were talking about, I mean, I felt it on Friday, too. Like, I think we got into town around 5 or 5.30, maybe. Mm -hmm. Went to Cougar Country. You know, I was just kind of anticipating everything was going to be bonkers. Went to Cougar Country. Not busy. (laughs) Got my hamburger within about 10 minutes, which was great. Um, But, you know, I mean, it just, yeah, it was like kind of eerily quiet. And we went down to the set and just kind of checked it out. And again, not a ton of people around. Um, You know, I don't know. You know, went to Valhalla. You know, it wasn't out the door. I mean, it was just like, I don't know. And then uh, to, to go back the next morning and, you know, to wake up at four, and my alarm set for four, wake up at four to uh, text from my friends who had basically stayed the night out there, said, you better get down here. It's crazy. Um, you know, so it was surprising in that sense, but not surprising in the overall sense. I mean, I, you know, I think people were just, you know, sort of pacing themselves to be able to be out there, Mm -hmm. you know, really, really early. I think everybody sort of understood you'd have to be there early to get any kind of a decent spot. Um, And so, you know, I think Friday was sort of a reflection of that. People were, you know, maybe people in Spokane drove down, you know, early Saturday Mm -hmm. morning, you know, probably. I mean, I had personally had a friend from the West side who left it, you know, 11 p.m. and just drove through the night oh, and then God. showed up and yeah, right. Which is <laughs> she's also single, so that kind oh, of okay. Well, that, okay. Well, then that yeah, you yeah. can do that yeah. But it, you know, I mean, it's uh, you know, I, I think that's kind of what happened. I think people were just you know they were pointed towards the party and they were doing whatever they needed to do to make sure they were ready to get to that party. And, uh, and again, it, it did not disappoint. No. Uh, let's, let's actually talk about the football game because there was, as I said in the opening and I said last week, there's actually a football game that was played, uh, and a pretty damn good one at that. And one that Washington state, I, I, I expected it to be a little more back and forth than it was in the first half, but 27 to nothing at halftime. I think that, that kind of qualifies as outside of the wildest dreams scenario when we were cooking up anything we thought would happen in a football game against an Oregon team that just beat a top 10 team the week before at home. For sure. I, I mean, you know, I, I was on another podcast last week talking about, you know, I think both teams will be in the forties, you know, I mean, all this stuff about it being high scoring and Vegas was crazy for having an over under, um, around, you know, under 70 points, which of course Vegas always knows, right. Yeah. They always know. Um, but it's like, I just, you know, I, I, I think part of that was, it, also the the you know the cougar pessimism to some degree where it's like you know there's no way this is going to be you know in storybook as we hope right mm-hmm. there's no way that the team's going to come out and you know get drop four touchdowns on them in the first half and uh you know really more or less put the game away right because yeah. even with the second half stuff um oregon never scored more than wsu scored in the first half so the you know whatever that last touchdown was you know, turned out we didn't actually need it. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I think we sometimes don't really allow ourselves to entertain the the best case scenario uh, as as a serious possibility. But, you know, I mean, you look at the factors that went into the game and and some of the stuff that, you know, we had talked about leading up to it, I I think contributed to that first half. I mean, you know, Oregon was coming off a hugely emotional win, Um, young team, you know, young team. Um, and then, and then not just the win being emotional, but being extremely physical, um, mm-hmm. you know, playing again, it, it kind of reminded me of those, uh, 
those, you know, those Seahawks 49ers games when Jim Harbaugh was coaching the Niners and, you know, they, they, they would just beat the snot out of each other. And, you know, there was some, you know, there was some residual effect. And I think there was definitely some of that uh, on Saturday as they came in in the first half. And, you know, WSU with, with two weeks to prepare, I think, uh, you know, had some ideas of what they wanted to do. Tracy Clays, I think, you know, put together a masterful game plan. Uh, Brian Floyd, you know, who I spent a lot of time with last weekend talking, mm-hmm. you know, he pointed out that he thought Clays had sort of run a variation of the same blitz over and over and over again. And when I rewatched the game, sure enough, there it was. They did these, the, you know, kind of this stunt with the guard, you know, with the uh, with the nose tackle or the end, and then and then the rush linebacker or whatever. They would just kind of do this, you know, outside in stunt. Um, they would hammer the A gap with a linebacker, and and Oregon just didn't have an answer for it for an entire half. And so, yeah. you know, once Oregon shored up some of that stuff, then you know, yeah, some of the effectiveness waned. But by that point, it was too late. And um, so, you know, huge kudos to the coaching staff for for getting it right, and and uh, and to the players for you know for meeting the challenge and and not letting um, you know the stage be too big for them. I think that's been a a little bit of a problem over the last few years mm-hmm. when. You know, the stage is the biggest. They tend to kind of clench their butt cheeks. Um, there was none of that on Saturday. They were great. And uh, and I think everyone deserves a ton of credit for that. Oh, I still want to look at, because, you know, I, I on Saturday thought, you know, oh, God, here we go again in the second half. But even now looking back on it again, even with that much better second half from Morgan, where they obviously, you know, played, you know, they, they scored on four of their five drives. The only one they didn't score on was the one that resulted <laughs> – uh, in WC getting the ball back for kneel downs, uh, they still only averaged 4.8 yards per play, half a yard less than WSU, who again had a pretty crappy offensive second half. So it it really wasn't ever that out of control, was it? Does that make sense? Because I mean, it just or was it just you know? Does it feel like that's just the averages, or what? Or did the team truly always have this in control, relatively speaking? No, I think that makes total sense. When I rewatched that, you know, I remember when I watched it live, um, just, you know, uh, the way I put it in my column was, you know, giving myself an ulcer, right? You know, just stressing out and, you know, chewing my fingernails and, um, you know, just, you know, just waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? Uh, When I rewatched it, I felt completely different. And and again, some of that probably is the benefit of already knowing the outcome. So there's probably some of that in there. But trying to be as objective as I could, you know, it was just, it didn't, you know, Oregon really had to make some clutch plays uh, in order to keep that. It's not like they were just, you know, the outside of the very first drive of the third quarter, which was pretty much bang, bang, bang into the end zone. Right. You know, outside of that, they really had to work for it. I mean, really, really had to work for it. And they had to make a, a handful of really tight conversions where Herbert had to make just, you know, inch perfect throws. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some catches, I remember, where it was like, how did they hang on to that? How did they catch that? How did, you know, our guy not knock it down? You know, I mean, just there was like three or four of those. Um you know, and so upon rewatching it, it was just sort of like, yeah, like Oregon really had to work. And, you know, when it got down into the red zone and the field got compressed and they couldn't use Dylan Mitchell to stretch the field anymore, um, all of a sudden they kind of went away from the passing game. They tried to run and they couldn't. And so mm-hmm. they ended up settling for a couple of field goals. And, and that obviously ended up being the difference in the game. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, live you know as a kook you're like oh it's happening but Mm -hmm. um you know re-watching it it was like you know yeah i mean it wasn't like oregon just exploded all over us i mean 
you know, they, they came at us with their best shot and, and frankly, it wasn't enough. And, and that's, you know, that's a, again, a huge testament to, to the coaches and the players. Once again, there is a football game this coming weekend, and I feel like we're just still riding that emotional high from last weekend, forgetting sure. that, yes, in fact, there is a game this Saturday against Stanford. I do want to point out briefly before we move on, uh, one thing, and you can touch on this if you'd like to, too, Jeff, uh, one tackle for a loss for Oregon on Saturday. That was yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, that's... That was it. Oregon, what you saw in the second half, and, and I don't know if this is a thing going forward, but maybe something for people to keep an eye on. It, you know, it seems like rushers holding back watching Minshew's eyes and getting their hands up is becoming more of a legitimate strategy um Oregon tried to do in the first half what they've done all year which is try to get after the quarterback and they were getting nowhere and uh so they sort of you know settled for um holding back and trying to knock passes down Utah did that a bit in the second half when mm-hmm. we stalled um so I, I'm kind of wondering you know how many teams start to start to uh, take that as a legit strategy right out of the gate rather mm-hmm. than, um, you know, resorting to it after being unable to generate pressure. Um, you know, so that'll be interesting to see. Oregon just couldn't, they, they just couldn't generate pressure. And, and they did a good job holding back the running attack in the second half, but we mm-hmm. were still getting, you know, three or four yards each time, which isn't great, but also isn't, you know, sending you backwards. So, yeah. and the one tackle for loss, by the way, was a wide receiver screen, right? Yeah. So yeah, it does, it's not even really, yeah. 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 Beginning of the second half, Mitch, made a, a not great throw behind Tay Martin. He slipped a little bit and boom, down he goes for a two yard loss. So, yeah. you know, really everything else was positive and, um, so it'll be interesting to see again whether teams, you know, just sort of concede that they're not going to get there, and they're going to try and disrupt the short passing game by doing that, and whether WSU maybe has a counter for that. I, I would hope that they're already starting, you know, to look at a counter for that because mm-hmm. I think that's going to become more and more of a legitimate strategy for opposing teams. Oregon had to go from one pretty big emotional win into a very hostile environment. I think Mark, that first drive really proved that they were kind of a bit back to the, you know, the glory days of Martin Stadium being a really hard place to play football. Uh, Washington State doesn't really have to do that. They go from a very emotional win down to Stanford and Palo Alto and a crowd that reads newspapers. Uh, That has to help a little bit in terms of you don't need to come into an environment where the other team is just amped up from everything that's been going on all day. The crowd is amped up and instead this time you're going down to basically a senior living home. Yeah, and I think the other, you know, the other good point or the other good uh, thing they've got going for him is just the way Leach coaches them. And, and I think this year has shown that, you know, all of his mantras have really taken hold. I mean, you know, I'm not going to compare Mike Leach to Nick Saban, but I'm going to go ahead and compare Mike Leach to Nick Saban. <laughs> it's like, you know, there's a reason why Alabama is so consistent, and it's because of the head coach. And, you know, his, his, his expectations for the team to to play up to their level every week, to not ever you know play down to to their opponent, and and all these things, the the organization that the standard um, that he holds them to is part of why Alabama is able to be so good. I, I mean, I see some of that at WSU. You know, it's when he starts talking about you know be the most excited to play, do your job. You know, I mean, you, you know the the mantras that he that he puts out there for for the players, and they just have internalized them. Um, I, I'm less concerned about this game um, than I was maybe, you know, last year when we talked about Cal. I mean, Mm -hmm. we all kind of thought Cal was terrible, but, you know, that was sort of the dreaded, right, back-to-back road games plus Friday night on the back-to-back of road games. Um, 
you know, these guys, I think, number one, that's, you know, going from home, not quite as tough. And I just think these guys are really, really, really focused on maximizing this season. They, they mm-hmm. have that underdog mentality. And I just think that, you know, no matter what, I mean, they're going to look at, you know, I don't know if they look at betting lines or if some, you know, coach on their staff looks at betting lines and, you know, just kind of puts in their ear. But, I mean, they're underdogs, right? Going yeah. down, I mean, they're, they're ranked 10 spots yeah, they're ahead, right, of yeah. Yeah, ahead of them. Yeah. They've got one fewer loss, you know, and it's like, and yet they're, you know, three-point underdogs or whatever. So, you know, I, this just strikes me as a team. I mean, they may very well lose. I mean, we talked about this two weeks ago, you know, what would constitute a successful second half. I mean, they very well may lose on Saturday. That could yeah. happen. But but I, if they do, I don't think it'll happen because they're overconfident or because of a letdown or whatever. If they lose, it'll be just because they got beat. It'll be because, be because you know, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is a freaking monster or Bryce Love, you know, finds some magical elixir for his ankle or K.J. Costello has the miracle game of his life or yeah. whatever. I mean, it'll be because of something like that I, I just don't think this is the type of group that's um, that's that's going to suffer a giant mental letdown and come out flat the way that you know frankly the way Oregon did on Saturday yeah boy were we wrong weren't we boy yeah, isn't it awesome? I, I know I don't I don't like saying the whole you know oh my god I'm so glad to be wrong thing but but I mean we are yeah I mean I was we were so wrong <laughs> so wrong why is anyone still listening to this show? I have no idea whatsoever. Uh, Despite ourselves. Yeah, well, yeah. Jeff Neusser, thank you for joining us, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks again to Jeff for joining us on this abbreviated version of the Coop Center Hour. Uh, more like a half hour. Yeah, kind of like 35-ish minutes. About like a dentist appointment length, thereabouts. Do I even need to start with Dunderhead of the Week? Just Larry Scott. Just all the, the text messages that got revealed from Mike Leach and everything else. And Mike Leach is very right. And I hated that John Wilner wondered if he was going to be fine because those texts came out as a result of a FOIA application. Uh, and I just everything those referees... Mark Duddy, I believe, was the referee on Saturday. Everything those officials did. It just... Some very obvious Darian Moulton's P.I. The kid has not had a good few weeks, but my God, that P.I. he got called for, that ball was so uncatchable. Manute Bull wasn't getting up for it. I mean, just asinine. But the, the, the capper, the capper of it all. I can't remember exactly what play was blown dead, but it was like a, a special team play. I think it was a field goal attempt of some kind. I remember exactly what it was. 
but it was when a flag was thrown, discussion run, and then Mark Duddy had to come on the microphone and say there is no foul for too many men on the field. Can't even count correctly. They can't even count right, Larry. They cannot count to 11 correctly. I can do that in two languages. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis, siete, ocho, nueve, diez, once. Look at that. They can't even count right, Lair. Dude. Resign already, please. I am so sick of all this crap. The last few weeks, the, the no bull teams that are, you know, you can't win five games and go to a bull. The, 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 how bad the bull schedule is again this year. There are three on the same damn day. That your teams are involved in. Your TV contract's awful. God. Go play tennis again or something. Whatever the heck you were doing before. I don't know what he was doing before. I rage. I'm all done. That kind of petered out. Ask Michael anything. Ask me anything. At Cam Walsh. Katie Walsh, thoughts on how much longer Larry Scott's tenure will be? Well, I just called on him to leave. Unfortunately, probably a little longer. That's, you know, can't get 12. Com- it's really the conference CEOs that got to fire him. I know the ADs aren't going to be happy with him. I think they're meeting with him this week. Uh, yeah, it's hopefully not long, but probably for long because the money is still coming in. At Mark Kellis, Kemis, I can't say that. <laughs> I'm so tired. What is it? How do you people work in the middle of the day? God, I got to adjust to this. Mark, favorite WSU uniform combination that the Cougs haven't used yet. I'd love to see the gray helmet with the crimson top and the crimson pants. Kind of a little bit of a 90s throwback in that regard. I would like to see that personally. I think that would be a pretty good one. At Fraternal Cloud, Jesse, where was Sean Harper? Definitely needed need him against those tall Stanford wide receivers. I think he was hurt on Saturday. But again, everybody happy and healthy, so it's whatever. At Kevin Anderson, Kevin Anderson, I like that, no vowels. Michael, the Stanford spread looks eerily like ours against Oregon. Why should I not wear my brown pants on Saturday? The spreads in Vegas are all about what they think they can induce action on. That's all about, that's all what it is. And also Washington State is 7-0 ATS this year. Winners win, champions cover, boys. I guess they could also cover by losing by two, though, so there's that problem. At Bubba Crowley. Bubba Crowley, over on there on the amount of times Vince Grippy would eat in and out per week if there was one in Spokane. Vince said, I think, what did he say? He said, over under 14. Man. I'll go I'll go under just for Vince's sake. Because I think he's, he's got to skip and get at least a vegetable and one lunch or dinner, right? That's, that's got to be it, right? At Aram Gomez. How many touchdowns did fan mustaches account for? All of them. All of them. I saw so many mustaches, it was wonderful. At Jimmy the Coog, Jimmy Morgan is having a mustache mandatory now. Probably till the end of the season, yeah. I think so. From at WC Brady, he has two. One for Totes McStos, who is unavailable at work. Would you rather win the remaining games but lose to UW, or lose the remaining games but beat UW, win the remaining games but lose to UW, because there's at least a chance they lose a game in there, and that means you're the Pac-12 North champion. And also, top three people you would love to interview on the pod. I wanted to interview Kirk Herbstreit. He was unavailable. We were very happy to have Chris Felica uh, last week. Uh, man, other than that, you know, I haven't really thought about it too much. 
I got. I think like a play-by-play guy. I'd love to interview Chris Fowler at some point. I would have loved to have interviewed Keith Jackson before he passed away. That would have been thrilling. Um, yeah, you know, I I think that's that's all. I'd love to talk to Clay Thompson sometime too. That'd be a lot of fun. I'd enjoy that. At Blanton Hal Hal road trip to Palo Alto. Who's going with you? No friends, family, or spouse can go. You can pick anyone. Name three. I really like Kristen Bell. I, she's hilarious on The Good Place. And if you're not watching The Good Place, you need to watch The Good Place. It's a great show. Uh, that's a long drive from Seattle. It's like, I think, 14 hours. How long it used to take me to drive to my mom's house near Palo Alto from here. Uh, so I would go with Les Stroud because we're probably going to need um, some survival things. Like, we're going to need to be out in the bush surviving, I would say. Uh, and then thirdly, who else would I bring? Man, that's tough. Huh. Drew Bledsoe, because he was the best game day picker there was and has been this year. Washington State, 31, Stanford, 17. It's not close. I bet you they win by two touchdowns, and your mind's at ease in the fourth quarter. We'll see how right I am. Hopefully very. Talk to you guys next week for the Dad's Weekend edition of Coop Center Hour.